And thank you everyone for joining me for another episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. I am so excited to welcome Dr. Jonathan Kaplan with me today. So Dr. Kaplan, introduce yourself. Tell my audience who you are, where you're located, and what we're going to be talking about today. Sure. Happy to be here. I'm Jonathan Kaplan. I'm a board-certified plastic surgeon based in San Francisco. I'm originally from Alexandria, Louisiana. I practice after I finished my plastic surgery fellowship at Cleveland Clinic. I practiced in Baton Rouge, Louisiana for about six years. And then my wife and I moved here six and a half years ago. I took over an existing practice, purchased the practice from my doctor. So uh, uh, between being a part of corporate medicine, being an employed physician in Louisiana, and now being in private practice, I've got a few different uh, perspectives on on the whole healthcare industry and just the experience of buying a practice and you know trying to get busy, build, ramp up the practice because the previous doctor had kind of slowed things down a bit. But but it's been an interesting ride, and uh, I feel like I have have some uh, information, some interesting tidbits I can offer to your listeners. Oh, absolutely. I know so many physicians that can relate to that. I'm sure it can be a really confusing and almost overwhelming process going from an employed physician, kind of working and grinding for another practice to actually having to manage the business on your own. Now you guys are specialists when it comes to medical, but now you have to be business owners. And I know so many of my physicians talk about, um, you know, what do we need to be focusing on? How do we make that transition? So what is some advice you have for physicians either considering it or what was something in your experience that really stood out during that transition? Well, I think that, you know, when people are coming out of uh, training, they they don't always, they think they know what they want, but maybe they don't really know what they want in the sense that, you know, after maybe five years in practice after their training, they realize they, that's when they got to get a better idea of what they want to do with the rest of their career. And so that was what I thought was good about coming right out of training, becoming an employed physician, because it gave me some time to figure out what were my likes and dislikes, what, what I really wanted to specialize in. So I would definitely recommend people to not necessarily buy a practice right out of training because you, you kind of don't have a realistic idea of what the whole healthcare environment is like. And so you might be expecting, uh, you know, have, have these really high expectations or how much money you should be making. And uh, you might be really disappointed, which is why a lot of practices that are purchased right out of training, whether the, the new doctor buys into the practice, they really are disappointed and they, they end up it ends up breaking up and everybody's very unhappy. So I would definitely recommend giving it a few years to, before you really commit to something. Um, and then, uh, so that when I was looking at buying the practice, you know, I had an attorney review the doctor's records. I had the, uh, I had a healthcare attorney drop the contract and it ended up being a really a good business decision because, uh, I've actually written about this and published these numbers that, uh, you don't always know, how much people pay for practices or how many patients actually stay behind. And so I bought the practice for, and included an in-office operating room. That was one of the things I really wanted was an accredited operating room. So that's one thing you want to look for is something that is more than just the goodwill, more than just the patient list, because you don't know how many of those are come. But so I bought the practice, had an accredited operating room, bought it all for $191,000. And then when we looked at it to see how many people stayed behind, we actually took a snapshot after five years. And you'd be shocked at how few patients actually come back to see a doctor. And I don't think it's just me. I think it's just, you know, right. they get used to seeing that previous doctor. And it ended up being a, a, a total percentage of patients that came back was 8.66%. It was wow. really, really low. Yeah. Easy so statistics. Look, I would never guess that. I would think at most 50, like at lowest 50. Yeah. 
I was going to ask you what you uh, to guess what number it was, but I was afraid you would like guess five percent. That my uh, my eight point six wouldn't be so good. Uh, but yeah, but but when we looked at the numbers, though, that eight point six six percent ended up spending enough money to where I ended up having a three hundred twelve percent ROI after five years. So it ended wow. up being a very good decision. So you know, like the average that every patient paid was like you know eleven thousand um, dollars. Uh, excuse me. Well, that was a surgical patient's about eleven thousand right. dollars, but on average, every patient put up about 5,000. So it ended up being a really good decision. Um, but, but, you know, you've got to go into it knowing that you don't know how many patients are really going to come back to see you. No matter how great you think they are, they don't really care because right. they thought the previous guy was really great. Uh, but, but that's why that's, that kind of goes back to my recommendation of get more than just a patient list. Make sure you get something like an accredited operating room. I mean, that's so that way you can start making money right off the bat. Well, but, um, but that was my experience with buying the practice. Well, that's pretty crazy numbers. Like I said, I would have never guessed that. But then even having such a small percent, like 8%, you were able to make that ROI. So if you were to give someone kind of a checklist before they buy, you mentioned make sure you have your healthcare attorney attorney help you. Make sure you have that in-office operating room. Um, understand the percentage of patients that are going to stay. But like you mentioned, maybe they already have that connection with their previous provider. And so what advice would you have for physicians that have purchased a new practice that are trying to make that new connection with these patients and um, become their new provider? Well, I mean, I think what the previous doctor did for me, which I appreciated, is that he had an open house um, oh, uh, to nice. kind of introduce to his patients. It, it, it was nice. And, um, and but the other thing is that he was only there. There was only a transition of four and a half months. And so that was pretty short. So most people would probably argue, and I would agree with them, that if the doctor stays longer, if they stay for a year during that transition, then you would probably be able to connect with more patients and have more patients stick with you. But that's a double-edged sword because if you have that doctor stay longer, then that doctor is going to probably start to think, oh, I like having this junior associate. This is a really (laughs) great camaraderie. And they're taking all the complicated cases. They're taking the call. And then they may never leave. So the other bit of advice I would say is that even though you think you want them to stay for a really long time, maybe you don't, but make sure that it's in the contract of how long they're going to stay and that they have to leave at that point, um, that that they can't just stick around. Yeah, that's such Um, good advice for sure. And so it ended up being, but it was funny because the the guy was a really nice guy that I bought it from. But, and it was funny when I first started, I was thinking, well, before I started, I was thinking, oh, it's four and a half months. I really wish you'd stay for a year. And then the first (laughs) day I was like, okay, you can go now. Um, not because he was a bad guy, but just because I was like, I was like, this is what I want. I want right. to, I want to do things my way. I want to like switch to electronic medical record and all right. those things. So it, it ended up being a really good experience. He he left when he said he would, and he was honest about the practice, the way he did the valuation. And this is another bit of advice. The way he valued the practice was instead of like trying to make this huge nest egg retirement plan, he took the amount of patients that spent uh, money on injectables during the last year, last full year of the practice. He figured injectable patients were the ones most likely to come back to see me. And he uh, took the net revenue from injectables and then did a two times multiple. That's how he came up with the $191,000 figure. And, uh, and so that was really honest of him to like say, okay, my surgical patients probably aren't coming to you. So I'm not going to jack at the price or the valuation based on that. Uh, so, um, so that was good. But the other beneficial part was also that he had no aesthetic equipment with leases and things like that. So that made it a lot, lot less complicated. So I didn't have to worry about taking over a bunch of leases other than just the uh, rent on the, on the, uh, 
on the um, office space. Oh, that's a good point too, especially when you talked about kind of going into that in-office operating room um, to make sure you don't have yeah. a lot of that overhead. So what was kind of, for you, the biggest part of the transition once you were already in the existing physician had kind of stepped away at this point after that three month mark, um, that you kind of felt like you were getting into your groove and able to, um, you know, make your own path doing this. Like what was so different than before? Well, I mean, I think one of the things that was kind of a little overwhelming at first before I could get into my groove was realizing that I had moved from a city of, moved from a whole city to an office built from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to an office building in San Francisco, both of which had the same number of plastic surgeons. So the city of Baton Rouge had the same number of plastic <sighs> surgeons as the building that I moved into. So that, <laughs> was, that was pretty overwhelming. So I knew from the beginning I was going to have to separate myself. And I was thinking, oh, great, the operating room, that'll separate me from the other doctors right. in the building. Well, I quickly realized that two other doctors in the building had their own operating room, too. So that wasn't much of a marketing edge. Um and I didn't want to purchase a bunch of aesthetic machines because that's just a bunch of mortgages that you're like kind of you know, running on a treadmill trying to pay the mortgage on each of those machines. So I didn't invest in a bunch of lasers and things like that. But the thing that really kind of separated me right off the bat was uh, kind of the same thing that separates me from most doctors in the healthcare space is that I was open about my pricing information. And I, um, I actually had already started a company about that deals with price transparency in healthcare. And so the consumer was able to go to my website and check my prices, but only after they put in their contact information. So they'd get an automated estimate for whatever procedure they were considering, but only after they put in their contact information. So with each time they submitted what we call a wish list, they would get an automated email with a breakdown of the prices. So they didn't have to wait for us to get back in touch with them. But we also got the same email with all their name, with all their contact information, name, email address, phone number, city, state, and zip code. So we, right off the bat, we're able to kind of like, a, you know, had this carrot about right. pricing. Nobody wants to talk about their prices. Sure, they can find out like a U.S. <laughs> average or something, but, but that's not really actionable as far as how much that doctor chooses. So they got the pricing information and we got a lead out of it. And that really kind of, that was the beginning of really separating us from the competition and helping us build such a huge email database that we have now for email marketing. That's such a good point. I think any physicians out there listening that is such a great idea. Not only is he kind of improving and answering those questions for patients and just putting that pricing visibility, but that's how you stay in front of patients. Cause I'm sure, you know, as a surgeon, maybe sometimes it's just informational and they're not ready to make a decision right then, but maybe in a few months, they'll be a little bit more ready. And you can use that information you captured, like you said, through that lead magnet of getting their email first being completely transparent about some pricing and then maybe staying in front of them with some email marketing or social media marketing. That's really, really smart. Right. And doctors, unfortunately, whenever you talk to them about price transparency, they immediately say, well, I don't want to compete on price. And I was like, <laughs> well, no, nobody said you had to compete on price. I didn't say you had to be the lowest. I mean, you could be the most expensive. The point is you're just using that to get them into your sales funnel so that they can, they can see the price. Sure. But then you have their contact information. You can follow up with them and explain to them maybe why you're the most expensive, that you're right. the best of this or the best of that. So it's really an interesting uh, – I'm actually writing a blog post on it right now about why is it that price transparency automatically means you have to compete on price. That, that, that doesn't, that's not necessarily a knee-jerk trigger that you've got to lower your price. It doesn't have to be a race to the bottom. You're just using that to get them uh, to get them to provide their contact information. Because in my opinion, it, 
you know, how much something costs is a much better way of getting some contact information than say, you know, download our ebook or something. Because right. you know, they can read that information all over. It's just it's just a great call to action button. It doesn't have to mean that you have to be the cheapest in town. In fact, you don't want to be the cheapest in town. You you want to be either in the middle or, or at the top of the pack. Absolutely. And and even those uh, patients that could be price shopping, like you said, it's not about being the lowest price. It's just about being really transparent. You can even filter through those patients. They're not going to become patients of yours anyways if they think your pricing is too high. So you might as well get it out and get in front of them and kind of, like you said, nurture the campaign of why you are priced the way you are, why you're the specialist in your field. And that way they can start thinking and seeing kind of who you are as a surgeon. And you have that information for any time you run any marketing campaigns or you want to deliver types of material they may find interesting. So I think that's something a lot of physicians can kind of lose out in in marketing is staying in front of the leads that you've grabbed with these great email sequences and social media campaigns. As- yeah, and one of the things you pointed out that I thought was an interesting thing, a way to look at it is that, you know, get that information out there at the beginning because, you know, I think, because uh, why bring them in for a consultation? Because a lot of doctors offer free consultations. I happen to not be one of them. We, we make people pay for the consultation. But but a lot of people will provide a free consultation. So you get this person in there, and you go through this whole 45-minute free consultation, <laughs> right. only for them to find out at the end that they can't afford it. Right. So it's just like, I mean, why waste your time and their time? And uh, it's just, it's uh, it's much more efficient. And it's just, it's, it's a better way, I think, to go through your practice. Because I think some doctors think that, oh, well, if I can just get them in. I can convince them that that they need to choose me. Well, I don't care how charming you are. If they don't have the money, if they can't get the financing, then it's not going anywhere. I'm sorry to say it. I think that's great advice. And I do work with plastic surgeons, and I think that's actually a better way to kind of view it because you're right. We do offer these free consultations, but then maybe the patient is only at a hard, fast stop at, you know, 5,000 for a, a rhinoplasty. And, you know, maybe you're a little bit more expensive. And then at that point, you've already invested your time. You've brought them in. We can kind of do that price transparency up front. And then the ones that you said pay for that consultation are probably more likely to convert into a patient um, because they already know your pricing. They've been following you now at this point because you've retouched and have more touch points with them. And now they're ready to even pay to meet with you. So it sounds like you're kind of increasing not only leads, Dr. Kaplan, but you're finding higher quality conversions. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. We actually uh, published a study on this, with the whole press transparency, we stu- we did a study where there was, it was published in a peer reviewed journal where we found that over the course of a year of all the people that submitted a wish list to check pricing, that 17.8% of them came wow. in for a consultation. And then of that 17.8%, 62% of them booked a procedure and then what we did is we compared the people that came in that were price aware and booked a surgery versus people that came in that were not price aware and booked an operation. So if we if you look at that, people, you know, they they all booked, but you know, if they came in price aware versus not price aware, we found that price aware patients were forty two percent more likely to book a procedure than non price aware patients. And it makes sense. It's just nobody believes it until you publish it in a study. But basically, if you're getting people that don't experience sticker shock at the end of the consultation, they're more likely to book. It makes perfect sense, but now we have a number to append to. 42% is a huge number as far as conversions go. That is pretty incredible. Do you think, um, well, you mentioned that this was a publication, so I want to make sure that everyone listening knows where they can find this and um, kind of check that out. Where can they find that? 
Yeah, that's uh, we uh, we um, paid the extra fee so that it could be uh, open source and like you wouldn't have to have a subscription. But it's in the annals of plastic surgery, and this applies to all people, all doctors, all professions who provide outpatient services, whether. You're, uh, somebody's got a high deductible health plan or whether it's cosmetic because mm-hmm. everybody's paying out of pocket a little bit. But but uh, you can find in the annals of plastic surgery, all people would have to Google is price transparency in the online age. So, uh, it doesn't really roll off the tongue, but that's the name of the <laughs> title. And, uh, and it, it is open source. So I'm telling you, if they Google price transparency in the online age, they'll find that annals of plastic surgery. They don't have to pay a fee to read about it. And, you know, my last name is going to be in there. So it's uh, it's actually pretty easy to find. It's one of the first ones that comes up. That is such great advice. And what about patients if they're already getting this pricing like you have so transparent for them to see? Is it possible that they're even kind of able maybe to, you know, purchase it or book that appointment? Or is, is that something you can do yeah. with that pricing? Um, yeah, no, it is. It's like such a natural next step. If you can check pricing, then why couldn't they? And they like they like the price. Why couldn't they buy it now? We don't do this for like a breast auger or tummy tuck because we really do right. need to, we give them an estimate for those things, but we really do need to see them for those kinds of things. But for non-surgical services, so many patients are sophisticated enough to know how many units of Botox they've gotten or fillers they've gotten. So yeah, after they check the price, they can actually um, add the item to their cart uh, oh, to, so uh, cool. to buy it. And what's funny is just like Amazon, let's say they add the item to their cart, they right. have to, uh, to even add it to their cart, they have to log in or create an account. And if they buy it, great. We take care of the merchant services within the price estimator on their website. But if they don't buy it, just like Amazon, if you leave something in your cart and you don't buy it, then, uh, they automatically get, 15 minutes later, they automatically get an email, an abandoned cart email saying, hey, you left that Botox in your cart. Click here to come back and buy it. And even if they don't go back and buy it, that's okay because that's still because they had to log in to add it to their cart. An email is also sent to the doctor's office or our office for the for the office staff to follow up. So so if they are just checking pricing, you get a lead out of it. If they're adding it to their cart but not buying it, you still get a lead out of it. So it's really great, great lead generation. Uh, and, that is and this so kind of price cool. up, go ahead. I know it's just yeah. so cool. I know so many physicians that use um, fillers and stuff to help reach their patients, but the fact that they're able to kind of purchase it online, even as a patient, that's so easy. Yeah. And we have a, we have over 250 doctors that use the platform. They have the price estimator and they're embedded into their website. It's really easy. They just kind of upload all the procedures they want to highlight on their website. And then we send their web developer one line of code. They embed it into the website and then the consumers can check pricing, purchase all, like basically you can turn your website into an e-commerce platform overnight. Oh, that is so cool. Um, and then the other thing we've done is we've gotten away from just like running specials and things like that. Now what we do is we have like memberships and packages. And so, uh, so a consumer can purchase like a membership and get access to additional discounts, you know, as long as they're paying for like a monthly fee. And so, uh, the price estimator can automatically make those recurring charges to the consumer on behalf of the doctor. So we, we really incorporated any kind of anything associated with price or purchasing, we've incorporated it into a price estimate on my website and, of course, other other doctors' websites who, who use the same type of price estimate. It's been really, really great to be able to make it so much easier for the doctor because now they don't have to develop the whole thing on their own. They can just, like, plug and play. It's so much easier for them. Oh, that's, that's great. I can't even believe you offer this. So you absolutely, if a physician listening today, um, is it just aesthetic space or is it um, for any kind of – model that fits yeah. into that non-surgical purchase, like weight loss, maybe. Yeah, so, 
Exactly right. We have bariatric surgeons who are using the platform, you know, sh- showcasing their pricing for bariatric surgery, but also they can sell bariatric supplements and things. Right. We have surgery centers that also do like radiology tests. And so people can purchase those things online because even though these are medically necessary services that I'm referring to, people still have high deductible health plans. So they're still paying out of pocket before their insurance even comes in, even though it's not considered a cosmetic procedure. So, yeah, we've got dentists, uh, plastic surgeons, dermatologists, primary care physicians, bariatric surgeons, surgery centers. So everybody uses this because everybody's paying a portion of it out of pocket and they want to know how much they're going to have to pay. Oh, that's great. So physicians listening. So now not only can you have these purchases go through the website, but he's even utilizing it to create a new membership type platform. Because I know we all run those specials out there and this is a really great way Am I right to create kind of more consistency as far as payments go through every single month and getting in front of the right type of patient and being able to sell it right there on the spot? That's pretty incredible. So Exactly, because I feel like when you're running specials all the time, it's sort of in a way cheapens your brand. So this is a more subtle way of running a special by having it like a little bit of a commitment from the consumer to join with a package or a membership. And and then they feel better about it, too, because they don't feel like they have to wait for that special day to come in that they can, they always have access to it, but in a way that makes, makes the brand still feel full and, uh, and top notch. Oh, that's great. And, um, I'll make sure for everyone listening that we have this in our show notes, how you can connect with Dr. Kaplan about using this for your practice and helping you during this price transparency and how it can help you increase sales and maybe even help you develop that membership platform that he's discussing. Well, I think you also brought up a really good point. I'm going to have to bring this up. So I have to admit, I have worked with surgeons that are really, let's say, aware or nervous about competition. And you mentioned you went from um, what you thought was a lot of competition to huge competition in San Francisco, even in the same building. And then you talked about price transparency. Do you think sometimes physicians are afraid to give that price transparency because of a competitor pricing their services the same? Or do you think it's honestly, they just feel like they have to low bid like you mentioned before? Yeah, no, no. I think that's absolutely um, one of the concerns the doctors have, but I don't think it's a reasonable one. And I'll explain why. I think that whether you have pricing information on your website and whether, you know, people can check the pricing that way or not, I think that other doctors, their offices are still going to call around and they're going to ask, do your front office have, oh, how much is this? They're going to pose as a patient as a secret shopper. So the way I look at it is that they're doing this already. They're already <laughs> right. like checking everybody else's prices up. So you can either have them go to your website and check it in an automated way, or you can have them calling your office and wasting your front office, office staff's time asking those questions and keeping them on there for 10, 15 minutes talking about all the pricing. So I'd much rather let those people, if they want to check pricing, they can check pricing on our website. But the thing that's interesting is they they have to put in a real email address because if right. they put in a fake email address, the first lead goes to their inbox. So it's a fake email. They're never going to get that that email. Um, so so they still have to put in a real email address. They still are going to be on our email newsletter. They're going to still feel like they're keeping up with the Joneses and all that stuff. Right. So I'm, I mean, I, I just think you're going to drive yourself crazy if you're worrying about your competition. You just need to worry about yourself and keep making your own practice better. And then it's just a much easier way to live because then you're less worried about everybody else and what they're doing. Oh, I couldn't agree more. That is so refreshing to hear. I, I'm with you on that on price transparency. Even with my marketing agency and the courses that I provide online, you can find all that information 
online because I just feel like if they want to know, they're going to figure it out anyways. You might as well have your pricing out there. And like you said, it's not about low bidding. It's just about getting in front of them, capturing the right information. Right. And and so it's uh and that and that and that is the reason we don't just like list it as a menu because then of course we wouldn't generate the leads out of it. So that's really the that's kind of the key is like at least giving something, pricing information, and getting something, the contact information in the process. Absolutely. So what would you say in San Francisco with your practice that you have found the most rewarding in making the switch and transition that you think would help other providers knowing that they can get to it on the other side? (laughs) Yeah, I I think that uh, it it, it may be not so much just uh, deal specifically with San Francisco, but I think it was just the timing with when I moved here, when social media was really taking off, and not not Facebook or Twitter, um, but I'm talking about like you know, like Instagram and right. Snapchat, and then that's really what kind of been really transformative for us is that you know we were willing to put all of our, or at least get our patients were willing to have their operations broadcast on Snapchat and Instagram stories. So that's really been kind of another defining or separating defining moment for us is that we uh, we broadcast like probably over 95% of the operations we do on Snapchat and Instagram stories. So the consumers find us through social media. They get a better idea of what the operation is. They can ask questions through Instagram and Snapchat while we're doing the operation. So there's a lot more transparency in that way too, from the uh, surgical perspective, uh, much more uh, education. And so that that didn't necessarily have to do with me just moving to San Francisco. It was just the timing was about the same when I, I I didn't have it. I mean, one other benefit of having your own operating room is that you don't have to get permission from like the administrator of your surgery center to, to, to record things. But that is, I think those are conversations that doctors are going to have to start having with the administrators in the surgery center or the hospital to get permission to record patients because it really is, I mean, how you can save so much money on digital marketing now oh, by just doing social media. You really can capture so many more people. And then the patients that come in, are so much more educated. They know the right questions to ask because they've been watching you do it for months or a year. Whereas that can't be replaced by just one 45-minute consultation if it's the first time they've ever seen you. Um, they've been following you for a while. They're, they're much more, uh, well, they're probably one, they're much more apt to like book an operation, but they're much more likely to trust you because they've been watching you. And engaged. So you are speaking my language, Dr. Kevin. So I have a healthcare marketing agency And we don't really provide social media marketing anymore as much for physicians because I couldn't agree more. I think the value in social media marketing for physicians needs to be from the physician. It needs to be from the viewpoint of the professional. And as you're talking about Instagram and Snapchat, especially in your specialty, having the physician record those surgeries, being the one with the bird's eye view instead of those photo stock images. and, And, you know, we really want Patients really want to get connected with their physician. They want to see you're the best. They want to see you're the pro and they want to start following you. And the way you've just kind of mastered this social media marketing and making sure that you are the biggest part of your social media is absolute gold because the way I see physicians do it all wrong is when you can tell someone else is posting for them, you know, and you can always tell if it's a front desk or a marketing agency that says, you know, join us today if you're suffering from back pain. You know, you want to make sure, though, that's good information. <laughs> we want to see it from the specialist. We want to hear from the provider like yourself. And by the way, listeners, please check out his social media. We'll make sure we have the links in this podcast. And we're going to talk about those tags soon. But he has absolutely created such a great following on social media. And it's all because he is sharing what he does and what he does best. 
What tips yeah, do you um, have for physicians? You're totally. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, that I know people will ask and doctors say, well, who do you, who did you hire to help you with your social media? And, and I mean, other than like a person in, in our office who does a lot of the social media, but they're in our office, they, they're, they're thinking you can hire some agency to do it. And that's just not possible. Exactly what you're talking about, that you really need somebody on the ground floor in the office doing it because an agency doesn't have the time to day with you because that's, that's called an employee. That's not an agency. <laughs> right. Um, right. And, and that's just, they, they just can't come in for like 30 minutes, like, the essence of what you're doing and and i get it from i get the doctor's perspective you know like you know i'm already running this practice i'm already an hr manager i'm already a ceo i'm already the, the surgeon so it's another hat to wear but but i'm not saying you have to do it all yourself like personally right. but you got to do it all within your office you, you just nobody else is going to get it the way your own office staff gets it who's there every single day I couldn't agree more. And like you said, maybe have that team around you to help you kind of you engage um, as you guys are doing your surgeries. But and even if you need some consulting, that's fine. But I so agree. Take back control of your social media. I think the value there is a whole lot higher. And like you said, the ROI on it, you just can't possibly have you know, someone with you all organizing it, but it's okay to have help and support either from, you know, team members or someone in the office that knows what they're doing. It can help you structure it so you can still save some time, but it does, I mean, could you agree? It does take time still, even as um, a physician to make sure you're capturing that content. Oh yeah. No, it's a full-time job. Right? No <laughs> way. And, and unfortunately it's a necessary evil. We've actually started uh, when we like to start uh, to interview or hire people, we actually uh, like don't tell them ahead of time, but when they show up to the interview and we're talking to them about whatever, that we then say, do something funny on social media right now. And we won't necessarily post it, but we'll have them do things. And one of the first, it, uh, she noticed the breast implants in the exam room. So she started juggling the breast implants <laughs> on social media. So we're like, with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I is it? It was actually before boomerangs. That's a really good point. It might've actually been right before boomerangs. Came well, out. now that's you have to do point. that. Cause that's really funny. I think that would make a great boomerang. <laughs> I have a lot of cosmetic and aesthetic surgeons as well as other, other surgeons and specialties trying to tap into that Instagram world. Besides, like you said, creating the videos and content yourself, what is something not only in value that you've gotten from your social media, but what is some advice you have for somebody that is kind of hesitant to start that journey or feels like they won't be able to do it that could help them kind of take that step forward? Like, I don't even have that many followers, like 20 something thousand followers. You have a lot of followers. followers. <laughs> yes, but, you but, do. The, the, and then, but the nice thing about that, I want to reassure people who, who are just starting out or don't have a ton of followers, you don't have to have 100,000 followers or a million followers to get busy point. with. Even with our our following, we really, I mean, like a really large percentage of patients, uh, we actually, uh, our, our single highest source of referrals comes from social media now, from Snapchat, wow. Instagram. Yeah, wow, so that's, that's the biggest single source. So, and that's with like 27,000 followers or whatever it is. So, so you can not have a million, like I said, you can still be busy. And uh, and so if you look at our social media, you might think, oh, well, I can't do all those things. And that's, that's, that's kind of the point is you don't need to do everything right off the bat. Yes. Just start by, you know, walking to work or walking in from your car, from the garage to the office and just talk about like what, what, uh, what operation or what procedures or what injectables you're doing out there. Just talk about what you're doing. It's something as simple as that. It doesn't have to be some like, you know, grand skit that you're, that you've been planning and, you know, scripting out or anything like that. Just literally do that. Look in uh, Snapchat, Instagram stories, just talk about what your, your, your plan is for the rest of the day. 
maybe you're going to work out the rest of the day. Maybe you're going to pick up your kids from school. You don't necessarily have to show your kids and all those things. <laughs> right. But but that's the thing is that the kid, the the followers, the viewers, they just want to know you're a real person. They want to know what you do when you're being real, when you're not necessarily being a. I guess it's kind of like a reality show. You're just not nearly as maybe you're just not nearly as interesting and as famous as like the Kardashians. Right. But even eventually to be viewed by your followers. And that's what you should do day one. Don't overwhelm yourself. Don't say, oh, I've got to do all these different things. Just just start with that, recording yourself, talking into the camera, talking about what your plan is for the day. And that that is that's where it goes from there. It builds from onto it. That's such a killer point because what you're really talking about too is just get started. Don't hold back and use resources available. And I think as a surgeon, especially coming from the other side, I think it builds um, an authenticity. And a lot of times patients are looking for someone who they can relate to. And when they see posts like that, that you're directing and being really authentic and genuine, um, it makes a connection a lot easier as well. Kind of what you do professionally and how good you are, but you know, it just makes the physician, I think more real. And that is attractive to patients looking for someone for these really high-end surgeries and care that it's somebody they feel like they can actually talk to um, and relate to. And I think that's really great how you just said that. Just get in, you know, start filming and just use what's available. You don't need a big video equipment or the big videographers to come in every day to film you um, to be authentic on social media and to be consistent. Amen. Amen. Well, one thing, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say one thing because we've just talked a little bit about it, but you've absolutely done such a great job with marketing your practice and reaching new patients. I want to make sure patients know um, a little bit more about how they can connect with you, even just to kind of see what you're doing and how maybe other physicians can connect with you just to kind of see how you're putting these things into action every single day. And um, if you could talk to us about where you can find your Twitter handle and your LinkedIn is it at Dr. Sure. Um, Real Bay? Yeah, yeah. Real Dr. Uh, so, um, all, yeah, uh, Real Dr. Bay is my Instagram handle, R-E-A-L-D-R-B-A-E, not B-A-Y, Real Dr. A, because I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. <laughs> I and love B-A-E, it. just to be, sound a little more hip for the kids. Uh, but yeah, Real Dr. Bay on Instagram and Snapchat, you can, the easiest way to get in touch with me for sure, based on just that, is inst- uh, direct messages on Instagram. But yeah, we're on uh, um, LinkedIn, but that's more associated with my price transparency company, Build My Bod. But uh, but that's the easiest way to get in touch with me. Or they can they can email me too at Dr. Kaplan at PH as in Pacific Heights dash PS as in plastic surgery dot com. Uh, but um, our website's realdrbay.com. Uh, but it's uh, very easy to get in touch with. There's always going to be somebody that's going to answer your, uh, your the email or the Instagram direct message. It's not not hard to get in touch with us at all. And also, I'm actually I go I go around and lecture a good bit at different meetings. Um, I actually have uh, spoken to uh, some different mentor courses or MTF Biologic uh, talking about just social media and how incorporated into your practice. So I've, I've been on the speaking circuit talking about that a lot and just really trying to show everybody the breadth of what's possible in social media, but also talking about how to start small and build from there. And that is really good advice because like you said, I think some people are all in on social media, but the idea of trying to do it, I think, overwhelms them. And I thought some of the tips you really gave today we're, we're so good for physicians out there, just maybe even worried about budgeting or marketing. And I don't know what I'm doing on it. And just being able to start, like you said, start just filming, just start um, using your phone. Don't overthink it. And even something that I think a lot of physicians will really take away from today 
is how invested you are in knowing your numbers too, Dr. Kaplan. We talked about um, making those big decisions, and it sounds like you really put a process in place when making these decisions to make sure you had all the data and information you needed to get where you wanted to be as a practice owner. Correct. I mean, nobody nobody believes anything until you give them a number associated with it. And, and that's why all these studies out there that make all the difference. So that's why I feel like I have a little bit more credibility because I have gone through the patient charts and the conversions and, you know, how much people have spent. And so when I can actually produce a number that's, you know, that's a legitimate number, people are like, okay, that's something I can hang my hat on. Because, I mean, just even back to that 8.66% of patients that stuck with me after I took over the practice, you know, nobody really knew those numbers before. People would say, oh yeah, 20% of the patients stick around. I feel like 20% of this magic number of that people use when they don't really know the answer and they're just kind of guessing. <laughs> 20%. Like it, it, yeah, 50% sounds too high, 10% sounds too low. So everybody just chooses 20%. But, I, like but it's just, I don't think it's, I think it's just like dogmatic reflex. And people say, oh yeah, 20%, 20%. <laughs> I guess but, um, so true. You hear it all the time. Uh, you do, you hear it all the time, and so uh, so I think it's just important to get those numbers out there, to, mostly to make people feel better. Like you know, so if you only had nine percent or ten percent of the people stick with you after you took over practice, well, then now you know you shouldn't feel bad that that's actually really good. And again, it's not really the percentage of patients that stay with you; it's how much those it's it's quality over quantity when it comes right. to that. So, uh, but that's why those numbers are important. That's why people need to know. That's why you need to do a, a legitimate you know, run through of all your data and publish that so other people can learn from it. It's such great advice. And for everyone listening, if you are a patient or a provider, you can find Dr. Jonathan Kaplan. Um, he gave you some of his information about his email, but I will make sure I have all the links, not only to his social media, to his, <laughs> to his practice and anything else we discussed in this podcast today. Make sure you connect with him. He absolutely knows what he's doing when it comes to marketing and most importantly, as a physician. And we so appreciate you coming on today. And I wanted to just end it with what would be your biggest advice for anyone listening today? Biggest advice for anybody listening today is, I guess I've kind of already suggested it, but uh, get started. You got to try it with social media. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to tell you that there's no way around it. Even (laughs) if it's not Instagram in 10 years, it's going to be something like that. TikTok. You just got to start. You got to start. TikTok, exactly. I've already started using TikTok yeah. now too, but that's yeah. But it, it, that's what TikTok is like an amazing platform. It's so entertaining. It's not really no so much though for like I don't really right. have my like surgical procedures on there because it's not it's not the same kind of educational platform. Mm-hmm. It's really meant to be an entertaining platform with some clever um, clever tricks with the camera and just being funny or people dancing in front of it, which I'm not doing. But, uh, <laughs> but drawing the line but it is, somewhere. It is still it is exactly I have to draw the line, but it is still a good way to. <laughs> engage with millennials who are or the generation yeah. Z who are eventually going to be uh, your patients. So there's no reason to not uh, get on TikTok. But again, if you got to start somewhere, start with Instagram stories and go from there. Absolutely. Well, thank you again so much for joining. And please don't forget to connect with Dr. Kaplan. And let me know if you have any questions from today's podcast. I'll make sure we get them over to Dr. Kaplan and his team. So thank you again. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's latest episode of the Patient Convert Podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe and review on your favorite podcast platform. We are on Apple, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, and Spotify, or you can sign up to receive the latest episode via email. Just check it out on my agency website or my personal website. And if you are looking for more amazing healthcare marketing information or just to engage, check us out at entropy.com. And for any of my amazing physician liaisons out there interested in growing their physician referrals or learning the strategies that it takes to build highly engaged physician referral networks, check out my website, kellynot.com, where I have free webinars, free downloads, and of course, my online physician liaison training course, Physician Liaison University. And as always, I'm a huge believer in connecting, engaging, and supporting one another. And the best way we can do that is networking. And I always, always connect with you guys on social media. And one of my biggest social media platforms is LinkedIn. So feel free to connect with me there on LinkedIn or Instagram or Twitter at Kelly Knott. And thank you guys again for listening to the Patient Convert Podcast with your host, Kelly Knott. 